Every one of us faces situations in life where we have a problem that needs to be addressed. And sometimes we're able to look at the circumstance and figure out a way in which it can be handled. The problem's resolved and we move on. And sometimes we get accustomed to doing that and because we're accustomed to dealing with certain problems, there are times that things come into our life and we don't realize the gravity of them. We're not aware of just how difficult or big the problem is. In those problems, there are times when we become overwhelmed and recognize how big they are. Some of us will seek out help from others that we can resolve the situation or uh, get out of our circumstance. Now, what am I talking about? Well, it could be anything as simple as financial problems. Sometimes the idea of putting it on the plastic just overwhelms people. And they find themselves in such great indebtedness, they're not sure how they can ever get out of it. And so they look to find some financial counselor to resolve that problem. Other times it might be a health issue. And at first we just don't feel right, we start to ignore it. Uh, We might talk to some others about it and then we go and seek out the expert who's able to help us. And the sad thing is sometimes that expert even has to say, I'm really sorry, there's not anything I can do for you. Then it's a problem beyond even the medical professionals who've been trained in those areas. Then we think about relationships, getting along with people, or some of the issues that we have in our own person and how it is that we can change some of the things about us that we really don't like. And so we go and we have somebody counsel us and this is what we should do, be it control our anger, be it to get rid of some of our inappropriate desires, whatever they may be, but the individual is still bound to follow or do what was part of their makeup. Overwhelming problems, difficulties that are beyond human capability. But the reality is they're not hopeless. Because when man reaches the end of his rope, when he has enough common sense to seek help, when he's not able or she's not able to handle it, one of the great phrases in Scripture is the phrase, but God. If you uh, like doing devotionals and would like to just do one for yourself, not worry about what ideas someone else wrote down for you, not saying they're wrong, but I found one of the greatest devotionals to ever do in a Bible study would be to start in the book of Genesis and in your concordance look for the phrase, but God. And you will be amazed at how many situations individuals found themselves in that might be common to you. When people mistreat you, when people plan evil against you, when the bottom falls out, when you have no resource in yourself, you're at the end of your rope. You don't know what to do. And there's that phrase. 
be it Abraham, be it Job, be it Joseph, be it David, be it Nehemiah, etc., 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 but God. And in our passage in the book of Romans, in the fifth chapter, how does it begin? But God. But God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But the other key phrase is, when God has done this marvelous work on behalf of his people, much more than having been justified, the we and the us who are being described in Romans 5 are not mankind in general but the individuals who have been the recipients of grace. These are the individuals who have been justified by God. These are the individuals who have been brought into a relationship with God. These are the individuals in their hopeless, helpless circumstance that God has intervened and God has done a work. And guess what? It's only the beginning. But God... He demonstrated his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, there's our previous condition. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having been justified through his blood, we will be saved from his wrath. Now, the book of Romans, I think, is a favorite of almost every one of God's people. And it is Paul's declaration of justification by faith alone. And it's a foundational idea that you and I need to grasp and understand that what man cannot nor desires not to do for himself... God does. And the great message in the book of Romans is God's work of justification through faith alone. And in chapters 1 through 11, it talks about the sovereign work of the righteous one. And in chapters 12 through 16, the sanctified walk of the redeemed ones. Those who are the recipients of grace. And what Paul has finished describing in chapters 3 and 4 in particular is that unworthy sinners, as a gracious act of God, are declared to be righteous through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because Christ is the foundation, Christ is the cornerstone, Christ is the one that appeases and satisfies God's wrath. Now look at how Paul talks about the consequences of what Christ has done on behalf of God's people in verses 1 through 11 of chapter 5. Therefore, verse 1, having what? Having been justified by faith. And then notice in verse 9, much more than having what? Been justified. 
and not only justified, but notice what he says in verse 10. For if while we were enemies, we were, notice past tense, it's already taken place, we were reconciled. So the we, the us, the individuals described in verses 1 through 11 are the individuals who are putting their confident trust in Jesus Christ. And the reality is God has done something for them beyond even the fact that he has declared them righteous, that they meet the divine standard in Jesus Christ. God is the author of salvation, is he not? God is the one who accomplishes salvation. Is that not true? And because God is the author of salvation, because God is the one that accomplishes salvation, God does not merely justify those who are his children. In fact, the way Paul describes the culmination of God's work in Romans 8 is through that great, what the Puritans called, golden chain. Those whom he predestined, he called. And the ones that he called, no more, no less. They're the ones he justified. And the ones that he justified, no more, no less. They're the ones that he glorified. Salvation is of the Lord. And you and I as sinful beings have two great problems. Number one, we have a debt we cannot pay. We are legally guilty before God. We are guilty before the bar of justice. Our offenses have brought a breach between ourselves and God. But the second is, we got a problem inside. It's called the human heart. Guess what? It's deceitful above everything else. It's desperately sick. No one can understand it. And you want to know the greatest deceptive thing that the human heart does to any individual? Well, I'm okay. I can take care of this problem myself. I don't need to trust Christ. I'll take my chances. I'm a good person. I'm better than the others. The human heart is deceitful above everything else. It is your greatest enemy because it lulls you to sleep to think that you don't need help outside of yourself. Because so often individuals, especially today in America, look at the symptoms of the problems that we have and not the root cause. And the root cause is we are depraved. We are undone in our sin. We are guilty before God with a corruption within. We are children of wrath even as the rest. But God demonstrates his own love for us. Notice how Paul describes the previous condition of those who now have been justified. In verse 6, he says, we were helpless. That is, without strength. In other words, in our condition, we have nothing or uh, no ability to alter or change our status. Second, you'll notice he says in verse um, 6, Christ died for whom? The ungodly. The individuals that are radically different from the character of God himself. Ungodlike. 
which is appalling because what was God's creative design and purpose for us as human beings? Let us make man in our image and according to our likeness. And man now in his sin is anything but what he was created to be. Instead of reflecting the goodness, the righteousness, the uniqueness, the beauty and the splendor of God, we reflect evil. Not only are we helpless, not only are we ungodly, but in verse 8 he says, God demonstrates his own um, love for us in that while we were yet sinners, the idea of being a sinner who is one that is beneath the standard, doesn't measure up, doesn't attain the position of what God created him or her to be. And we're not neutral in all of this because he says, while we were yet enemies, a personal hostility toward God. Now I have to back up for a minute because you say, well, that's not necessarily true. Look at how religious people are. People want to worship some kind of supreme being. But they want to worship anything other than the true God. And I won't go into an argument debating the reality of that. But the reflection of what was true of the Jews in the time of Christ was a picture of you and me. And if you don't see yourself there, then the words that Christ spoke to the Pharisees is true of you. Because they said, if we were alive in the days of our fathers, we wouldn't have put the prophets to death. We wouldn't have opposed Isaiah. We wouldn't have opposed Daniel. We wouldn't have opposed Jeremiah. And he says, in saying that, you show that you're the sons of your fathers. Because when it came to Jesus Christ, what did they say of him? We will not have this man rule over us. And until I come to grips with the fact that I'm a child of wrath even as the rest, I have no desire for God, I'm at enmity against him, I want to be my own God, then I don't really comprehend the depth of my problem and appreciate but God. It isn't that you sought God, it's that he sought you. Because how many people seek God? No, not one. It is the reality of God doing the initiatory work. And he gave what was most precious to him for that which is despicable. Notice why the word but is put there. Paul just said, just think about this rationally. If you have a situation where someone is sentenced to execution... Would you take his or her place? Well, I know for a righteous person you wouldn't. Now, maybe perhaps for someone that is kind, benevolent, for a good person, someone might dare to die. I'll take the place of that benevolent, kind individual that they can continue the benefit they're bringing to others. But God demonstrates his own love toward us. 
Not because it makes any sense at all. Not because there is any merit in ourselves to commend ourselves to God. And God demonstrated that volitional action, his own love, his agape, his act on our behalf. And what did he do? He gave his son. Oh, how great the Father's love for us, that he would give what is most precious to him, his own son, while we were yet helpless, his hostile enemy with hatred against him, beneath the standard of what he had set for us, were ungodlike in all of our ways. God demonstrates his volitional action, his agape, his love for us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The good shepherd laid down his life for his sheep. And if God did this great act, how inconceivable for us to think that he won't do the lesser. It's the argument from the greater to the lesser. If he made the ultimate supreme sacrifice in giving his son for unworthy individuals, how much more? The point of what Paul is saying is, can we think he will abandon what he has started? Do we think that God's going to just leave us graveling in our sin? Do we think that God is yet going to punish us when he already poured his punishment out on Jesus Christ? Do we begin to think that there isn't going to be a change taking place within those for whom Christ died? How ludicrous. God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. How much more? having been justified, having been declared righteous, and the rest of chapter 5 into 6, 7, and 8 is going to describe how God takes individuals who used to be slaves of sin and has now made them servants of righteousness, desiring to be and to do what pleases him. You know why? Because salvation is not of you. Salvation is not of me. Salvation is of the Lord. And your problem and my problem was so overwhelming. There was nothing any one of us desired or were able to do but God. The God who is rich in mercy when we were dead in our sins, made us alive. But God demonstrates this unique favor, this unconditional love for those that he predestined from before the foundation of the world to be conformed to the image of his son. So dear brother and sister in Christ, wrath is not waiting for you. We're not talking about God pouring out his wrath on his children in this life or certainly not for all eternity. God already poured his wrath 
that you deserve, that I deserve, for those who are his children on Jesus Christ our Lord, the substitute. And because he gave what was most precious to him, we can be certain he's going to finish that good work that he began. We can be certain that we will be saved. And you understand the meaning of the idea of salvation or being saved? It is to be delivered. We will be delivered through the life of Jesus Christ, not just from his divine wrath and punishment, but delivered from the bondage of sin, to be delivered ultimately from the presence of sin, to be delivered and conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. How much more? What Paul is describing for us here is the certainty and the consequences that are assured of God's people. How are we justified? By grace through faith. And how is it we're to live our life now? By depending on God to do in us what we can't do for ourselves and that by grace through faith, he's going to make us just like our wonderful Savior, Jesus Christ the Lord. You don't think it's going to happen? See, sadly, too many people Just think being a Christian is your hell insurance. The reality is being a Christian is to be a trophy of divine grace. To be a Christian is an individual in whom God is working. To be a Christian is to be an individual that's depending upon God to do in me beyond all I could ever ask or think. To be a Christian is to look with certainty that God's going to complete the work that he began. And he's going to bring forth in me all of the beauty, all of the splendor, all of the virtue of Jesus Christ, my Lord. God's already taken care of the big problem. And we know for certain that he's going to finish the work he begun. Ours is to trust him, depend upon him, and to exalt in the God who can do for us more than we could ever ask or think. Hallelujah. What a Savior.